You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. Amen. Well, good morning. It's good to see you. I ask you to please take your Bibles or your device and turn to Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 33, as we're making our journey through the gospel according to Matthew, and we're in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And what we saw last week was the reminder that Jesus is a personal Lord and Savior, that in meaning you believe in him, uh, you have to trust in him, you surrender to him, you love him and you follow him. And for him to be your personal Lord and Savior means he's yours, that Jesus, sometimes what happens in the Bible Belt and in places like our communities is Jesus, he isn't an heirloom that gets passed down through the family. You know, jewelry gets passed down, uh, pianos, we're getting a, a piano soon from, through, through our family, and, and furniture gets passed down. But Jesus, he's not an heirloom. Jesus, but sometimes he becomes, in some families, just a kind of a piece of the house, a piece of the furniture. He's there, he's mostly ignored. And since he's the grandparents' chair, he was your mom's savior, then he must be mine too. But Jesus says, that's not how I operate. You must trust him for yourself. And when you do, when, you, when Jesus becomes your personal Lord and Savior, what we saw last week in the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus is also saying, I become your personal life, Lord and Savior. These very personal areas of our life we saw last week, of our anger, um, our lust, even just our thoughts and our emotions and our our marriages. Jesus says, I'm Lord over these things. And so he goes from personal life last week to now Jesus shows us three other areas where he says, I am now also Lord of your public life. I am a public life, Lord and Savior. And he begins in verse 33. And as you're able, let's stand together for the reading of the word of Christ. As these words come to us and the same authority as when they were first spoken here in Israel. And we hear King Jesus say to us, Again, you've heard that it was said to our ancestors, you must not break your oath, but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. But I tell you, don't make an oath at all, either by heaven, because it's God's throne, or by earth, because it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, because it's the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, because you cannot make a single hair white or black. But let your yes mean yes, and your no mean no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. And as for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asks you. And don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your father in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? 
Don't even the Gentiles do the same. Be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Let's pray together. King Jesus, it is clear we need you. It is clear we struggle with how to live in this world. And that's why we're here. We don't gather as an assembly of people who have their lives together. But we gather as an assembly of people who are relying on you. Relying on your life, your death, and your resurrection from the dead for us. So help us, King Jesus, by your spirit. And in your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. I don't know if you remember the first time you ever heard your own voice on a recording. What, I mean, what did you think? I love the way that sounds. No, you heard your voice and you thought, that's me? Oh, I sound horrible. No way that's really me. And even when I, I hear my voice today and I hear the you know, uh, interviews or podcasts or whatever, all, all these kinds of things, I go, oh, I can't believe people have to listen to that. So I'm sorry. And it's amazing that there's this disharmony between what we think we're hearing because of our jawbones and eardrums and canals and all that stuff versus what we hear from a speaker. There's a disharmony between these things. And what we just read in the Sermon on the Mount, these examples in our public life, how we deal with those outside of the church, those who are not followers of Christ, Jesus is saying, how does it sound? Does it sound like what you think you hear? Does it, does it line up with how you think you're actually living? And Jesus is inviting us to hear the difference and then, and then to get on pitch with him, for them to line up. And here's how he begins with this first element of our public life as disciples of Christ. We must refuse wiggly words. Refuse wiggly words. And here's what we mean. Look at verse 33. Jesus, as this pattern at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, quotes something from the Old Testament and gives a deeper meaning, a deeper understanding of it. And look at 33. Again, you've heard that it was said to our ancestors, you must not break your oath, but you must keep your oaths to the Lord, quoting the Old Testament. But I tell you, so he says, let me show you what this really means. Actually now, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, because it's God's throne, or by earth, because it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, because it's the city of the great king. So Jesus is getting involved into the legal system. Contracts, part, these vital parts of public life, agreements we make and with people, and business deals. The Old Testament said, don't break your promises. Don't break your deals, of course. And now Jesus steps in and says, you know what? All this oath-taking business, let's get rid of it. Just let your yes mean yes and let your no mean no. Your yes or no should be enough because here's what's happening in Jesus' time right here in this passage. People were getting wiggly with their words and their oaths and their promises. They were building loopholes into them. People were so dishonest, their word wasn't enough, so they, I swear to heaven, I'm gonna get you that wheat next week. Then they don't get it. They don't bring the wheat. They have no intention of bringing the wheat, but they want the money. So I said, well, I only swore by heaven. I didn't swear by God. Because I know if I swore by God, oh, I'm in trouble. But I just swore by heaven. Jesus says, no, 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 that's not how this works. Did you notice there's a, de- a, a, a lessening of levels for what Jesus is referencing? Look, look again. 
either by heaven, way up there, he says, no. Or by earth, see, it's getting lower. Then it gets smaller by Jerusalem. So people were thinking, well, if I have these levels, if I, if I grade the levels of my promises, then that really matters how much I'm supposed to keep them. They were grading them like we grade meat quality. People started thinking, it's okay to grade my words. Now I looked up the different grades of meat. It's horrifying, but let's go through it. <laughs> First level, utility, canner, cutter meat. Don't eat that. It's in processed foods and some ground beef. Standard grade, it's like the store brand, no special labels or anything like that. Then there's select, it's good, not bad, not great. Then there's choice. Choice is good. Even saying it feels good, choice. Some marbling, but not the best. Then there's prime. You ever had prime? It's good. It's the best, juicy, tender, marbled. And you can get even upper levels in the prime. You get into a restaurant, fancy restaurant grade. You can't get canner grade filet. And you don't want it if someone's selling it. But if you've had a standard steak versus a prime steak, you know the difference. It's like a trash can lid versus food. You know the difference. And listen, we all know the difference between someone's words who are canner grade versus interacting with someone's words who are prime grade. We've all interacted with people like that. And people in the first century thought, sure, I'll promise by heaven to get those two donkeys to you next week. I swear I'm good for it. I swear on first Maccabees. I swear on heaven. And I swear on my future rabbi's grave. I'm going to get it to you. They have no intention of doing it. And they feel no guilt. I didn't swear by God. I didn't swear on the Torah. And I didn't swear on my grandma's grave. Just my rabbi. Who cares about him? Jesus says, that's not how this works. Because look at what he says. Don't take an oath either by heaven. Why? Where does God live? Where's God's throne? Heaven. God's everywhere. Verse, and that's where he goes with earth. Or don't swear by earth. Why? It's his footstool. It's where God puts his feet. Or by Jerusalem. Why? It's a city of the great king. He says, you can't get away from this. This whole world is God's and God is everywhere. And later in Matthew, Jesus really gets onto the Pharisees for this exact thing. In Matthew 23, Jesus tells them, woe to you blind guides who say, these connect exactly. Whoever takes an oath by the temple, it means nothing. So you see, oh, I'm swearing by the temple. It is, I don't have to keep it. It doesn't matter. That's what the Pharisees were teaching. But Jesus says, the Pharisees say, whoever takes an oath by the gold of the temple, now you're bound by your oath. Jesus says, verse 17, blind fools. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? Also, the Pharisees taught whoever takes an oath by the altar, it means nothing. You can lie. It's not a big deal. You don't have to keep that. But whoever takes an oath by the gift on the altar, oh, now you're bound by the oath. Jesus says, you blind people. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, the one who takes an oath by the altar takes an oath by it and by everything on it. The one who takes an oath by the temple takes an oath by it and by him who dwells in it. And the one who takes an oath by heaven takes an oath by God's throne and by him who sits on it. Jesus says, your word matters. There is no wiggle room in your word. Beloved, our words must be trustworthy. This is what Jesus is saying. 
because disciples of the risen Jesus, our words are to be depended on because his resurrection isn't a lie. His crucifixion isn't a lie. And Jesus is what? He calls himself the truth. And we're to be people of the truth. So here's what Jesus is. Hey, we will, our promises, we will break them and things will fall apart. And this just happens. And when it happens, we don't make excuses. We own it. We ask for forgiveness. We try to make it right. But here's what Jesus is asking us today. Are you believable? Are you believable? Or do you have a reputation at your job as someone who drops the ball, who talks it, but never backs it up? That is kind of a running gag. Oh yeah, don't ask them to do it. It'll just, it'll never get done. And some of us, we're so smooth with our words. We're so slick. We're great salespeople. Some of us, we could sell ketchup popsicles to a man in white gloves in July. And there's a danger here with being so good with our words is that you could be a con artist. Jesus says, speak the truth. Yes and no are enough. Your integrity, your follow through, it should be proof enough. And if people don't buy your word, they, they want some collateral in your words, then you're probably more like the evil one than you are the only begotten son. And there's another element here that I love from Jesus, how it applies to our everyday life. You don't have to sprinkle in spiritualized words. You don't have to sprinkle in Christian jargon to say yes or no. Did you see that? You don't just swear by heaven, by earth, by Jerusalem. You just let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. But sometimes in Christian circles, we drop in Christian lingo so our no will sound better. Example, hey, do you want to help serve in the prison ministry next month? Oh, we'd love to bring you and I'd love to invite you to come on this mission trip. We, oh, we, we have such great need. Would you love to lead a small group next semester? Or, and you're going to hear an announcement at the end of the service. We need people to serve in our children's ministry. Would you come and serve these children and show them the love of Jesus? What is the Christian way to say no? Let me pray about it. <laughs> this is what Jesus is talking about. Let me pray about that. You notice how if I came to you and said, hey, I have floor seats to a Rockets game this month. Oh, let me pray about it. I want to give you some money. Let me pray about it. I want to give you a cake. Oh, let me. No, we don't say let me pray about it. Too many things. But we try to wiggle our way out and put it on God. Let God say no for me. Let God tell you no. Jesus says no more loopholes. Delete the loopholes out of your words. No booby traps to your promises. If you say yes, it means yes. And if you say no, it means no. And you're going to follow through. Because this is how we practically love our neighbors, how we practically serve one another as we follow our Lord, who himself is the truth. Because we are disciples of the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And we are not disciples of a snake. We are not disciples of the serpent who had loopholes and trap doors in his words in the garden. And if we are disciples of the serpent, we won't speak the truth. And if we are disciples of the Savior, we will speak the truth. And there's another thing, another way we will live. We will refuse to retaliate against those who are against us. Look at verse 38. Jesus says, next part, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evil doer. Or don't, more literally, don't retaliate against them. Don't set yourself against an evildoer. 
On the contrary, if anyone slaps you, turn your right cheek also. Turn your other cheek also. And Jesus gives a bunch of other examples. So here, he's quoting the Old Testament. And that can sound like a brutal law, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But think about it for a second. It's actually, that command from the Old Testament is actually an incredibly merciful law. Because our human tendency would not to be eye for an eye or tooth for a tooth. It would be tooth for an eye. You knocked my tooth out. I'm ripping out your eye. We humans want to escalate, make things worse. You stole from me. I'm killing one of your donkeys. We love to escalate. And God says, no, no, no. In, my, in, my, in Israel, I want you eye for an eye. Make the punishments and the penalty. They don't go out into extremes. Keep them even. But now Jesus steps in and says, let's not just think about how the covenant community, how the kingdom interacts. Let's think about how my citizens act with those outside. What does Jesus say to do? With people who aren't for you, people who are against you, people who don't like you. And if you're honest, sometimes you don't like them. What does Jesus say to do? He gives the example of a slap happens. And it would be a backhanded across your right cheek. It'd be like this person face to face in the back of the hand like that. Derogatory move, putting you down. What's our instinct? Slap back, fire back. Jesus says, leave it alone. Shock them even. Turn the other side. You missed a spot. Someone says something nasty to you on social media. You get an email from a coworker that is just it throws you under the bus and, and with your boss CC'd on it. What do you want? You feel it in your heart. You want to retaliate back. And Jesus says, don't. Send a message of love back. Because you see, the world fights fire with fire. But the disciples of Christ, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers over this present darkness. And here, I want to stop for a second and make sure you hear what Jesus isn't saying. This doesn't mean we don't ever physically defend ourselves or our children. There's a difference between self-defense, being mugged, and then difference between you're being persecuted for your Christian faith. And listen, in one way, this passage has been so abused in many recent years is that if, you're in an, if you are in an abusive situation, Jesus is not saying stay in that abusive situation. If you are being abused, call the police. Hear that, full stop. Call the police right away. We have an officer here. He can take a report. Jesus isn't saying you have to be a doormat or you have to put up with abuse. What Jesus is saying is my disciples don't abuse back. My disciples don't slap back. My disciples don't clap back either with their words or with their hands. My disciples don't fire back. My, my disciples don't attack back. Jesus is saying my disciples diffuse situations. They're not Bugs Bunny. You know, you know what Bugs Bunny always does? Bugs Bunny always makes things calmer, doesn't he? When the Yosemite Sam's going crazy, what does Bugs Bunny always do? Oh, it's okay. We'll, we'll figure this out. No, Bugs Bunny always throws more gunpowder, more problems into the situation. And Jesus says, my disciples are to be diffusers because there's more at stake in the world than getting someone back. There is more at stake than getting another jab back at somebody. And I love this one scene in Seinfeld when George Costanza is eating a bunch of shrimp at their business meeting. 
He's in the Yankees boardroom and he's just eating, going to town in the shrimp cocktail. And one of the guys in the company looks at him and goes, hey, George, the ocean called, they're running out of shrimp. And everybody dies laughing. And George's like, ha very funny, very funny. And he's so mad. He spends months thinking of how can I get this guy back? How can I get this guy back? And he figures it out. I've got the line. Then he has, sets up another meeting, invites that guy. Well, that guy's been transferred. He's got another job somewhere else. George flies to that city where that guy is so he can get this guy back. Sets up a meeting, brings in a shrimp cocktail, is going to town on the shrimp again, waiting. And the guy does it. George, the ocean called. They're running out of shrimp. Everyone dies laughing. George takes the shrimp out of his mouth. Oh, yeah? Well, the jerk store called, and they're running out of you. And everyone goes, huh? And the guy responds, doesn't matter. You're their all-time bestseller. And everybody starts laughing again. And George just walks out defeated. Because it never fixes anything. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't resolve the situation. It doesn't bring unity, peace, harmony, love back. It just keeps the offense going. And this is hard for us because you get made fun of in a situation like that. Around your friends. What's the natural, natural reaction? The production line fires up of how can I take this person down? How can I be cruel back? But if we have been crucified and raised with Christ, the risen Jesus is calling us to something supernatural that the world and our offices and our communities and our in-laws have never seen before to not retaliate. And Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. modeled this for us, didn't he? The ways many of us in our country have never seen. Nonviolent protest. And then the sit-ins at a whites-only counter in South Carolina in the 60s. As young black people went to a whites-only counter and sat there. And as white students joined in and sat with them, as drinks were poured on their head, as food was thrown on their shoulders and made fun of and mocked, our, our natural response, our ordinary response would be to want to turn around and slug somebody in the face. But Jesus calls us to something extraordinary, doesn't he? To sit there and to take it, to receive their hate and yet use it in such a way to let history show who the real victor was. The people dumping those drinks, I'm sure they thought they were doing the right thing, that they were right, they were winning. Well, the long arc of history shows us who is actually right. Non-retaliation, not firing back. And this one that Jesus gives in verse 41, someone wants to make you, forces you to go one mile, go with him too. This happened all the time in first century Israel. Imagine you're having a picnic with your family on the Sea of Galilee. You've got the coals just right in your fire. You're grilling this fish you caught today. It's beautiful. And then from around the corner of some olive trees, you see a group of Roman soldiers coming towards you. And you know, th this is not good. Soldiers are walking up. They're tired. They're dirty. They can smell your fish grilling. And he says, hey, Israelite, stand up your kids look at you and you go, it's okay. It's okay. Yes, sir. Give me those fish. I, I just caught them, sir. I'd like to. He slaps you across the face. Give me your fish, sir. 
and give him his fish. Carry my pack, carry my supplies, carry our swords. We're, we're exhausted. We don't, you, you carry all of them now in your net. We're not carrying them. And your family's looking at you. You know, if you don't do this, I'm gonna get beaten. I'll probably even be killed. And you'd love to spit in their face. And Jesus says, go crazy with them. Go crazy with kindness. Look at what he says. They force you to go one mile, go two. Yes, sir, I'll carry your stuff. But not just one mile. If you would let me, I would, I would love to have the honor to carry it two miles. I'd love to make this a four-mile trip just for me so I can serve you, sir. You look tired. You must be exhausted from protecting us. So thank you. And if you would, I, I'd like to go even further. I would carry, I'll carry it all the way to the barracks for you. And if you want, I'll even carry it all the way to your house to make sure that your stuff gets home where it needs to be. Would you let me do that for you, sir? That's Christianity, Jesus is saying. Christianity, what the Sermon on the Mountain is teaching us is Christianity isn't just believing the right things on paper and saying nice things in a Bible study. Jesus is saying Christianity is living it out in the world, living out my kindness, living out my ways. So listen, that coworker that slammed you in a meeting and you see them out the window bringing stuff in, struggling to carry in the boxes and the, their new proposal or whatever it is they've got. What do you do? Do you swivel away in your chair so you don't have to see them? No, you run up and you go lock the door and laugh and run. No, you go out, not even just hold the door here, but hey, let me get that for you. Real Christianity is lived out. And we know, we know we should love and serve others. And Jesus is saying, so do it. If he is risen and if he is alive in us, living through us, Jesus says, I am empowering you to do this. So who is it in your life that you will see? See him tomorrow at work, next family gathering, maybe in your kids' sports circles, another parent. Who knows? I don't know what it could be. But Jesus is saying, don't escalate it. Look to me and learn to love because you belong to me. And the whole thing, if they take in your jacket, what Jesus is saying, show them, I'm not here to take advantage of you. You might be trying to take advantage of me. I'm just going to try to love you in return. Because we want to, the last thing Jesus says, we want to refuse the ordinary way. This might be one of the most convicting things in the Sermon on the Mount to me. Look at what he says in verse 47. If you greet only your brothers and sisters, only other disciples, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Are you just doing what everyone else does? Jesus saying, I am calling you to something extraordinary. Following me, you don't just tack my teachings onto your mind and go, okay, I'm a Christian. Jesus saying, no, no, my disciples do stuff out of the ordinary, stuff the world doesn't see. And they love their enemies. Verse 43, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor. That's from the Old Testament, no doubt. This next part's not, but it's what was being assumed and taught and hate your enemy. Jesus says, but I tell you, love your enemies. No one had taught anything like this really before. Jesus says, no, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love those who are against you. Love those who hate you. Love those who dislike you. How? What does Jesus say? Pray for them. That may be all you can do. And really do it. 
even when persecution for following Christ becomes a possibility, Jesus says, pray for them. Christians all around the world have to deal with this every single day. And every day for us, it gets closer. And you will, if you are faithful to Christ, believe me, you will be disliked for not agreeing with people's views on gender, abortion, marriage, you name it. They will be nasty to you. And Jesus says, love them. Don't retaliate. Love them. And I know of a company over the last few weeks that's mainly employed with Christians and they film weddings and they've made decisions on the kinds of weddings they will do. And some of this was made public and some of his public, the CEO of the company, some of his public information was broadcasted out and he was getting death threats. The FBI had to get involved. And as he was sharing these things, he was saying, pray for them. Just pray for them. Because what does our father in heaven do? Look at verse 45. Look what Jesus says. Live this way so that you may be children of your father in heaven. Why? Look what he does. For he causes his son, the star in the sky, to rise on the evil and the good. Do you realize that unbelievers get sunshine? Jesus says, this is profound. We take this for granted. Unbelievers get sunshine. Did you know that it's not only Christians that have good weather? Do you know that non-Christians are also get to experience gravity? They're not just floating around on the, on the planet. And look what else Jesus says. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous, those who hate him. Christians aren't the only ones who get the benefits of God's grace and kindness and mercy. Christian farmers don't get more perks from the rain. Christian farmers don't have better fruit because they know God. Christian businesses don't get special water from the ground or or special. No, God gives all these things. He gives sunshine and oxygen and rain and Wi-Fi. He gives it to everybody. God gives all people these common graces, everyday extensions of God's kindness. And we think we're better than that. We think we should be more strict with our kindness. Well, I'm not going to do that for that unbeliever. I, wouldn't, I can't be kind to that person because of what they believe and how they, their politics. We think we have a higher standard than God. God gives his kindness to everyone, sunshine, rain, oxygen. And look what Jesus says in verse 46. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? It's so easy to love people who love you and like people who like you to be kind to those who are kind to you. But Jesus says, I've taught you otherwise. Love those who don't love you because surely as you are a disciple of Christ, your heart is bigger than tax collectors. Isn't your heart bigger than mob bosses? Shouldn't Christians have more love than Al-Qaeda? Al-Qaeda loves Al-Qaeda. And are we just gonna love Christians and not love the world? Jesus says, no, my disciples are different. And it's right that we gravitate towards our fellow Christians. Look at what Jesus says, 47. If you greet only your brothers and sisters. So it is right that we gravitate towards one another, but that shouldn't pull us away from the world. What does Jesus say? What are you doing out of the ordinary? If you greet only, if you love only, got to engage with the world. And here's, here's what I think our Christian subculture, especially in Houston, we got to realize it's okay 
if your dentist isn't a Christian, okay? Sometimes we are obsessed with wanting everything to be done by Christians. We get this obsession with only wanting to buy from Christians, only wanting to sell to Christians, only wanting to have Christians replace the shingles on our house. I remember we were selling a house and uh, one of my wife's friends is a realtor and and she is a believer. And the people in our neighborhood would think, oh, we're wanting to sell our house too. Do you have a good realtor? Yeah, she's pretty good. We know some other ones too, but she's good. And she said, is she a Christian? That's really important to us. I'm like, uh, yeah. But non-Christians sell houses too. And they do a pretty good job too. It's okay if you don't have a Christian insurance agent, if you don't have a Christian dry cleaner, if you're not involved in a Christian sports league, if you don't have Christian gum or testaments. <laughs> and the testaments are bad. Stop buying those. Altoids are way better. It's just enough already. It's okay to buy from those who don't love you or agree with you. It's okay to eat at a restaurant with people who don't have the same views as you do. Or you don't connect with those who aren't just like you. It's okay. And in American society right now, we have, there's the kingdom of the world and there's the kingdom of Christ. And the kingdom of the world, which is the United States of America and many other countries too, There are fractions and dividing lines and enemies all over the place that they've drawn up. And with broad brushstrokes and just wide paintings, many Americans think Muslims are their enemy. Christians should not think that way. Or that illegal aliens are the enemy. Our refugees are the enemy. There are some white people who think black people are the enemy. Or Mexicans are the enemy. Republicans think Democrats are the enemy and Democrats think Republicans are their enemy. And, and stupidly, there are some evangelical Christians who think the LGBTQ community is their enemy. See, the world has a plan for how to treat their enemies, distance or defeat them. But the kingdom of Christ has a plan, love and kindness. And what Jesus is saying with us right here, and this is the key, What his disciples do is we take our enemies and we turn them into neighbors. This is what Jesus is telling us. Turn your enemies into neighbors. They they might perceive you as an enemy. They might think you are an enemy, but the way you view them, you know, you aren't my enemy. You are my neighbor. And I'm going to love my neighbor like I love myself. I'm going to treat my neighbor like I treat myself. And I'm going to treat my neighbor, even though you think I'm an enemy, I'm turning you into a neighbor. I'm going to treat you as I would want to be treated. And I know that we know this. Oh, we're called to love others. And Jesus knows you know know this. But the reason why Jesus is saying this is it's time to live it. So let's get real. How are you showing love for Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez? through the memes you share on social media? How can you show love for someone that you perceive to be an enemy and you should view them as a neighbor? Because some Republican Christians seem obsessed with making fun of her. That's not the way of Jesus. How would you show love for President Trump? Same goes, making fun of him or even President Obama the coworker you want to avoid in the halls that you don't want to make eye contact with, that neighbor next door or above you, 
in your apartment complex, the parent on your kid's team that you want to ignore because there was a little bit of conflict. You don't want to talk to them. Jesus says, I care about all of that. And I'm calling you to something extraordinary. Look at 47 again. This one so convicted me this, this past week. And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even Gentiles do the same? Do you know what Jesus is saying? This is incredible. I care if you say hello or not to people. Jesus cares about even a simple gesture of, hey, how's it going? Hey, how are you? Hello is a holy thing to Jesus. It's basic humanity. And some of us are having to learn again in basic humanity because Jesus is giving us our humanness back. And Jesus is teaching us how to treat others as human beings and not enemies, but as neighbors. Jesus says, every person you meet is worth it. And what did Jesus say to his enemies? When in in his incarnation, when he left heaven and came to this earth, that is the grand hello from God. I'm here. Hi. I got a star in the sky letting you know I'm here. Hello. And in his baptism, the father says, this is my son. Hello. I'm well pleased with him. And Jesus tells a crowd of sinners like you and me, hi, come to me. All of you who are my enemies, who are evil, and I will give you rest. Come and learn from me. What are you doing out of the ordinary? God says hello to his enemies, you and me. And yet we think we can distance ourselves. We can blow people off who wronged us. We can avoid eye contact, not return texts, not return emails from those who have wronged us. Jesus says, think again. Because don't unbelievers just greet one another? Christian, get out of your comfort zone. Greet your rival at the office. Greet your Thanos. Greet that mean girl. Grab a Coke for your white whale. Open the door for Voldemort. Even say hello to a Golden State Warrior. Because Jesus is calling us to something out of the ordinary. Verse 48, be perfect. Be whole. Live the real life. Because your heavenly father is perfect, is whole, is not lacking. Jesus says, this is where you're headed. Whole life fullness. Our father is holy and filled with love and not lacking. And Jesus says, that's where I'm taking you. You are being transformed into my image and learning to love. And I know for some of us, we can think of people and situations that we already know this this is going to be really tough. I, I can't imagine loving that way. I just can't imagine doing it. And Jesus says, I know. That's why I said all of this. Because I'm going to help you. That's why I saved you. Because I am the way. I'm going to teach you the way. I am the truth. You're going to speak the truth. And I am the life. And I'm going to live this life through you. Because what do we see from Jesus? When he, had his, when he was slapped, when he had his beard ripped out, and when he had, they threw a robe over Christ on the night he was arrested, and they're punching him. And what are they saying? Prophesy. Who hit you? They're doing two things. They're slapping him and they're mocking him. Oh, you think you're the son of God, King of Kings? Who's hitting you? Jesus is being attacked physically, personally, emotionally, and he didn't retaliate, but trusted himself to his father. 
And when Jesus said, I came to give my life as a ransom for sinners on the cross, he wasn't kidding. No loopholes, no trap doors. They even told him while he's on the cross, call down for angels, get yourself off the cross. And he prayed for those who persecuted him. As he hung naked, stapled to a cross, what did Jesus say? Father, smoke these fools. No, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he dies paying for our lies, paying for our retaliations, paying for our escalations, our hating, our brooding with enemies. And then Jesus rises from the dead so we can be set free from all of it. So you don't have to live in this wiggly speech anymore. You don't have to retaliate anymore. You're not chained to treating your enemy like an enemy anymore because you've been raised with Christ. The one who's done it all for you, truth and love. And he says, do you hear yourself on the recording? And more importantly, do you hear me? And I'm bringing you on pitch with me because He is a personal life, Lord and Savior, and a public life, Lord and Savior, because he is a real Lord and Savior, will save us from all of these sins and will bring us into new life with him. And maybe today you'll find the first time what it means for Jesus to be your Savior as you turn from your sins and believe in him and trust him for eternity. Let's pray to him now. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.